Let me sleep, for my soul is intoxicated with love, and let me rest, for my spirit has had its bounty of days and nights. Light the candles and burn the incense around my bed, and scatter leaves of jasmine and roses over my body. Embalm my hair with frankincense and sprinkle my feet with perfume, and read what the hand of death has written on my forehead. Let me rest in the arms of slumber, for my open eyes are tired. Let the silver-stringed lyre quiver and soothe my spirit. Weave from the harp and lute a veil around my withering heart. Sing of the past as you behold the dawn of hope in my eyes, for its magic meaning is a soft bed upon which my heart rests. Dry your tears, my friend, and raise your heads as the flowers raise their crowns to greet the dawn. Look at the bride of death standing like a column of light between my bed and the infinite. Hold your breath and listen with me to the beckoning rustle of her white wings. Come close and bid me farewell. Touch my eyes with smiling lips. Let the children grasp my hands with soft and rosy fingers. Let the ages place their veined hands upon my head and bless me. Let the virgins come close and see the shadow of God in my eyes, and hear the echo of His will racing with my breath. Part 2. The Ascending I have passed a mountain peak and my soul is soaring in the firmament of complete and unbound freedom. I am far, far away, my companions, and the clouds are hiding the hills from my eyes. The valleys are becoming flooded with an ocean of silence, and the hands of oblivion are engulfing the roads and the houses. The prairies and fields are disappearing behind a white specter that looks like the spring cloud, yellow as the candlelight, and red as the twilight. The songs of the waves and the hymns of the streams are scattered, and the voices of the throngs reduced to silence. And I can hear naught but the music of eternity in exact harmony with the spirit's desires. I am cloaked in full whiteness. I am in comfort. I am in peace. Part 3. The Remains Unwrap me from this white linen shroud and clothe me with leaves of jasmine and lilies. Take my body from the ivory casket and let it rest upon pillows of orange blossoms. Lament me not, but sing songs of youth and joy. Shed not tears upon me, but sing of harvest and the winepress. Utter no sigh of agony. But draw upon my face with your finger the symbol of love and joy. Disturb not the air's tranquility with chanting and requiems, but let your hearts sing with me the song of eternal life. Mourn me not with apparel of black, but dress in color and rejoice with me. Talk not of my departure with sighs in your heart. Close your eyes and you will see me with you forevermore. Place me upon clusters of leaves and carry me upon your friendly shoulders and walk slowly to the deserted forest. Take me not to the crowded burying ground, lest my slumber be disrupted by the rattling of bones and skulls. Carry me to the cypress woods and dig my grave where violets and poppies grow, not in the other's shadow. Let my grave be deep so that the flood will not carry my bones to the open valley. Let my grace be wide so that the twilight shadows will come and sit by me. Take from me all earthly raiment and place me deep in my mother earth and place me with care upon my mother's breast. Cover me with soft earth and let each handful be mixed with seeds of jasmine, lilies, and myrtle. And when they grow above me and thrive on my body's element, they will breathe the fragrance of my heart into space and reveal even to the sun the secret of my peace and sail with the breeze and comfort the wayfarer. Leave me then, friends. Leave me and depart on mute feet as the silence walks in the deserted valley 
Leave me to God and disperse yourselves slowly as the almond and apple blossoms disperse upon the vibration of Nisan's breeze. Go back to the joy of your dwellings and you will find there that which death cannot remove from you and me. Leave with peace, for what you see here is far away in meaning from the earthly world. Leave me. Khalil Gibran, The Beauty of Death A correction. Because of certain tattoo details in Minute 49, I was looking again at Minute 46, about which I said Meyer did not have the Ouroboros tattoo on his arm. Notably, the tattoo is there, but is more on the inside of his wrist than his forearm, and it was mostly covered by the hand of one of the soldiers holding him in place. Here in Minute 49, I briefly wondered if the marks at the front of Meyer's left shoulder were an additional shared thing, that Kane's bear tattoo had begun to form on Meyer even after he was dying, or had died. But the marks do not match and seem fairly similar to marks on his right shoulder, and may simply be tears in his skin where the growths inside burst through. From behind Ventress, Shepard, and Lena, our visual focus is Meyer's exploded form on the wall, his legs still sitting in the chair, his naked torso several feet above on the wall, his cranium twisted and separated from his mandible, a hole where his torso had been, and all around him, the cancerous moss and flowers in a radiating, branching star formation. Camera dolly's back. Radix steps into view from the left and we reverse. Second five. Lena and Shepard close to camera. Radix several feet behind them, walking slowly in the water. Thornton remains above the steep decline into the deep end of the pool. Thornton, what is it? Lena, I don't know. Second nine close on Meyer. His purple hair seems a wig made of cotton candy. Some red elements on the other side of his skull beneath his cranium suggest blood. A white branch of whatever these growths are rises up to the left, countering his head leaning and looking off to the right. His cranium has no flesh. There are no eyes. There is a gray lump that might be what is left of his tongue inside his mandible beneath lumpy growths that almost seem like a bundle of grapes. At the front of his shoulders, just below his clavicle on his right, near his armpit on his left, are tears in his flesh. Or maybe something like tattoos, but the marks on his left do not resemble anything in particular and certainly not Kane's bear tattoo. Meyer's dog tags dangle down from around his neck. Camera jibs down and we see his right arm ends at the elbow in a splash of red amidst the clumps of white and beige on the wall. His rib cage is exposed and his abdomen below it is open. His Ouroboros tattoo feels bigger than when it was visible in minute 46 and higher on his forearm. But behind the scenes, I do not imagine that they had two different sized stencils for this tattoo, so it's appearing smaller may have been a trick of the light, or of the angle. The actual position of the tattoo on his forearm is different than on Thornton, or later, on Lena. Theirs is on the inside of the arm, while his is closer to the outside. Here his arm bent inward, his watch-clad wrist and hand resting on a purplish lump almost casually, but for some white crust that makes the arm look frozen. Second 16 smash cut to Radic. She looks down. Crouches. Second 21 close on something in the dirty water. Radic's hand comes into frame from top right. She grabs the object and brings it out of the water. It is Kane's knife, which we saw there in minute 47. Immediately, she drops it. Then second 25 close on Radic again, standing back up. Radic, I don't want to stay here tonight. In the script, she says it again. Radic, continued, I don't want to stay here tonight. Second 28, close on Ventress. Thornton blurry above and behind her. Dr. Ventress, we don't have a choice. Second 39, angle on Radic. Thornton behind her. 
An awkward cut in a way, shifting the angle and focus so little. But the continuity on Thornson's stance, rifle in one hand, her jacket only half on, is good. Raddick turns around to the right to look to Thornson. Raddick, please. Which is odd, because Ventress is in charge, and Shepard is the one who has been looking after Raddick. In the script, Shepard says, hey. Shepard puts a hand on Raddick's face, gently redirecting the younger woman's gaze away from the corpse. Shepard, continued. We won't have to stay in the barracks. We can choose another building, and we'll figure out a guard rota. Lena looks down at Meyer's open ribcage, the skull, and dislocated jaw. In the film, Thornson, motioning for Raddick to come. Come on. Second 33, back to Angle on Ventress. Dr. Ventress, it's It's too too late late in the the day day for us to move on. on. Second 36, back to Angle on Raddick, already backing away. Thornson, come on, let's go outside. Raddick turns to walk to the incline and Thornton helps her up. They start to walk away and smash cut second 43 to angle on Meyer's body, Lena, Shepard, and Ventress. Lena is close to the body, getting a sample from the white section of the mass just above Meyer's pants. Second 49 back to Ventress. Thornton and Raddick are blurry in the background walking away. Ventress moves to the left, staring up at the mass that was Meyer. Second 51 angle upward on Meyer's upper torso, tracking right, suggesting something close to Ventress's POV. Then second 57, cut to. In the script, we go to a flashback, Lena and Kane, his departure scene. In the film, that flashback is delayed as we get a nice twilight shot of the guard tower beyond the gap between two of those grass-covered bunkers. At least two of the women in silhouette walking up the tower stairs. And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation. 